All right, good morning, church. Take out your Bibles. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to read uh, Ephesians 6 from verse 1 to 4, and then we're going to jump over to Deuteronomy and go from chapter 6, verse 4 to 9, and uh, as we just uh, wrap up our, our home series on the home, uh, what does it look like, according to the Bible, when we center our homes in the gospel? What does that structure look like? What are the principles regarding that? That's the question that we're answering. And today we're in, we're in parenting. Um, how do we raise up kids in our home? Uh, what does it look like to do that in a gospel-centered way? I think it'll be encouraging, challenging, and all of that to us <laughs> at the exact same time. And so let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, then Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provo provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we just commit this time to you. We have set aside this time as your people from the common times. And Lord, we devote our attention, our hearts, our minds to you. We offer ourselves, our whole lives in worship, in response to what you have done for us in Christ, um, how it's been applied by the Spirit in our lives. And we offer our worship to you. You are the great and awesome and almighty God who loves us, has loved us, and always will love us in your Son. And Lord, we just ask that you'd speak to our hearts, make us where you want us to be, take us where you want us to go, to speak and minister, and we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're talking about parenting. We're finishing out this home series on, on parenting, and I need to say this up front, um, because I know that there will be a continual plaguing sense uh, they were all going to carry throughout this whole thing. Um, I'm going to be unpacking the biblical ideal for parenting. And I, t I say ideal, and here's why, because absolutely none of us meet the ideal. Can I get an amen? None of us do. It's a good pursuit. It is a, a wonderful thing for us to strive for, um, but all of us fall way short of being the parent that we know we should be and the parent that we really want to be. And uh, praise God that He's gracious and that He provides and fills in all the gaps and heals all the damage we do to our kids. Amen. Uh, we are flawed people. That's what grace is all about. Um, and so just know that uh, maybe you've been hurt by your parents 
and uh, you've had to overcome a lot that your parents have done and that maybe your kids are having to overcome a lot that you have done and all of that is taken care of in the gospel of Jesus. Do not carry a whole lot of guilt. Don't be overcome with guilt this morning when I unpack the biblical ideal to us. However, let our hearts be encouraged and strengthened to pursue it. Because we think we have, we have the grace and we can actually walk in accordance with it. And hey, hey, the closer we get to walking and being the parent that God calls us to be in the gospel, uh, the more glory for himself and, and for the next generation through our kids. And we just give him praise for all of that. So let's just look at what that is this morning without us being overcome with a great sense of guilt. All right. And I have to say that, I guess, from my own feelings of studying all week. Right and knowing that as a dad I fall short, so just know that that's. Um, I just wanted to say that up up front. All right. That being said, I want to lay out this biblical idea, uh, the uh, the ideal for parents and children. It says Paul says, man, it's so encouraging because it's pretty wide open and pretty basic. Right, children, obey your parents for this is right. Um, when children obey their parents. They are submitting to authority, not because that authority in some way by its character and nature deserves it. Um, We're all flawed parents. It is God's prescribed order. It is right, it says. Obey your parents, not for other reasons, but because it's right. It's the right thing. It is the best thing for a child to obey their parents. So children... Uh, parents, first thing is that you need to make sure that your children obey you, especially those early years in life, that they are learning to obey God. They are learning to obey authority in their life. And that is a critical make or break issue in the life of a human being. Therefore, the main task, especially early on, is making sure that they learn obedience to you because that teaches them obedience to God and authority in their life. And outside of that, they will try to build their own kingdoms. They will be driven by selfishness. And they will make everybody submit to them. And those people end up in prison and do not have a good long life, right? And so it says, obey your parents, for it is, it is right. And then Paul references the command to honor your father and mother. Notice those two words are different. You have oh, children, obey your parents. And then honor your father and mother, part of the Ten Commandments. Um, And that's what he is referencing here, to honor our parents. Now, honoring our parents is a lifelong thing. We always honor our parents. And again, we don't honor our parents because they deserve it or because they're the best parents in the world or they don't have flaws or any of that sort of thing. We honor our parents because it is right, because God made us to honor our parents. You can honor a parent who has done damage to you, who has hurt you, Um, You can honor a parent, and it's more about your heart being healed and your heart being in a good place, understanding the flaws of another person, even when they hurt you. I can honor my parents because it is God's will in my life that I honor my parents, and you can do that your whole life till the day you or they die. Um, That is something that we're to do. Now, Paul says honor as a young child looks like obedience. So honor is a lifelong thing that we're commanded by God to do to our parents. And honor does not mean I have affection for my parents. Some of you may not like your parents. They hurt you deeply, and you don't have to like them. (laughs) Okay? But you do have to honor them. Uh, Honor is not necessarily love them. 
Honor is not necessarily obey them because you're not going to obey your parents for all of your life. There is a point when you go out from under their umbrella and you're responsible for yourself and you're not to, not to um, always walk around obeying your parents. Honor is this incredible phrase that means that you take your parents seriously, uh, that you uh, esteem them and you don't embarrass them or shame them publicly, um, that you honor, you give them honor in your life and whatever that means it can be kind of a wide net right uh, but it does mean not to di- shame them or publicly do that or uh, uh, hurt them in some way when you're young as a child it means to obey them and then Paul says fathers in verse 4 fathers in parenting notice fathers hold the primary responsibility for parenting the kids. The father is responsible for discipling the kids in the home after Christ in the Lord. So fathers, bring up your kids in the Lord. Fathers. Now, um, this has really been the structure of the home for all of world history for the most part. Um, But something happened in the Industrial Revolution where fathers left the home and went to work. Moms were given mostly the primary duty of raising kids in the home uh, when the Industrial Revolution began to change that dynamic in culture. So we're 150 years into a new dynamic. Now, that's not necessarily a bad or evil thing unless that cultural dynamic causes fathers to think that somehow you can hand over that responsibility to someone else and you're no longer responsible for it. Um, that's where we go in the error. The, the ultimate person responsible in the home before God for the kids being discipled in the Lord is the father. Now you may use other institutions like a school or a church or even the wife to help and assist with all of this, but the responsibility lies squarely on fathers. He says, fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And he says, don't cause them to be angry. Don't exasperate them. Don't provoke them to anger. Now, what would cause fathers to have their children become angry with them? Um, well, and it doesn't. And in the anger there, it's, it's a little bit more of a, a, a long-term frustration that begins to turn into a resentment type anger. Um, And I think this is pretty common. I think this is the common thing that Paul is really talking about here is that fathers tend to be overly harsh with their kids. Fathers tend to uh, be pretty strong-fisted with their children. It says, do not cause them to become angry. Don't be so harsh and demanding of them and to cause them to constantly be frustrated with you um, because your expectations are so high and your demands are so high that they always carry around this frustration and this, this guilt that they're not quite performing well and that you always expect more of them than what they actually do, that you cause them to become embittered and angry toward you. Don't do that, dads. So I think he's just pointing out that, hey, this is a common thing that can happen. Dads typically can get into this. And he says, dads, hey, back off of that. Back off of that. Let me just say this quote real quick. I'm going to say, actually, I'm going to say a lot this morning. All right. So y'all need to listen fast because here's what I decided to do. Instead of preaching an hour and a half long sermon, can I get an amen? I have chosen to preach an hour and a half long sermon 
in 25 minutes, okay? So uh, I'm just going to pick up my pace. I'm going to say a whole lot, and I'm going to just throw it out there so y'all listen quick this morning. First quote, rules without relationship will likely lead to rebellion. I think this is what Paul's pointing to when he says, do not make your kids angry. You have a bunch of rules for your kids without the relationship. Um, this is a high rule, low relationship, usually doesn't turn out well. Let your kids also be kids. Let them be kids. I once read a Puritan, and, uh, a Puritan writing about the order of the home. And, and if you know anything about parenting as a Puritan, talk about strict. Oh my goodness. In fact, the generation subsequent to the Pur- Puritans who were in North America, uh, many of their kids rebelled. Um, and had really bad consequences because they were so strict on their kids that the generations following actually just uh, uh, did terrible things and walked away from a lot of things their parents were trying to get them to do because they were just overly strict. Um, Let your kids be kids. And, And when you're disciplining them and you're hard on them, remember the discipline of the Bible when it comes to parenting is the only time you really press into discipline is when you see willing um, rebelliousness to authority willing and known rebellion to authority now you can do something and not know that it's rebellion you you didn't know the rule or you didn't know what it was wrong and you can jump in and discipline they don't know Um, it's it's really a person when you see your child knowing what they should do knowing what the right thing to do is and knowingly rebel against that that's when you really want to press into discipline and that only Um, But that Puritan writer said, Parent, do not discipline your kids for youthful exuberance. Because in the day, that was was happening. You were were treating a five-year-old like they were supposed to act like an adult. And they're not. (laughs) They're five, right? Um, And so just when you're disciplining them, uh, know that. When you speak to your kids, you need to remember this principle, parents. When you speak to your kids, the words you use with your kids when they are young will become their self-talk to guide them the rest of their lives. When they leave your house, they take you with them. And they begin to talk and have conversations in their own hearts and minds for the rest of their life. What you spoke into them will be the guiding factor. Now, I know that's incredibly convicting. God will heal all the stuff, right? But just know that about your words that you use to them and the demands that you put on them and the expectations that you put on them. They will have performance issues in life. They will always be feeling like they have to perform for people if you're constantly telling them, well, you did that, but you need to do this. And you did that, but you needed to do this. They will carry that the rest of their life. You will form them in those ways. Um, And so you want to be careful. Make your words life-giving words to your kids because you're so often going to do this as parents, right? No, no, stop that. Don't do that. Quit going over there. No, you can't go there because why? Because I'm stressed. I ain't got time to fool with that. No, you can't, you can't. And you just do that as a parent. Can I get an amen? But you have, to, you have to come to the place where you have to remember there's a lot of things I can, I can help them and I can let them live, right? And I can let them be kids. Paul says, bring them up, parents. And here's the picture you have of bringing them up is you have this person that is a child and they, as they grow, you're sort of like, you know, doing this with them and then they're going and the ultimate goal is that from here to there now they are a wise and virtuous person walking 
um, with the Lord for the glory of Jesus, okay? That's the ultimate goal, and you're a part of the process of helping them get to that place where they're on their own, and they are walking with Christ for His glory, and they're walking lives of wisdom and virtue. That's your whole goal in life. Guess what? That can mean a whole lot of careers. It can mean working at a gas station the rest of their life or nothing. I mean, it doesn't have, it's wide open. And so their expectations need to be simply that when it comes to the Bible. So from birth to adulthood, you're guiding them, think about it this way, to form taste buds. Um, I heard a story once about two friends. One was from America, uh, North America, and the other one was from uh, Australia. And the North American guy went with his friend to Australia, and the Australian couldn't wait for him to uh, have Vegemite. Have you all heard of Vegemite? Okay. It's, I don't know what it is. It's some kind of black paste jelly that Australians, like, it's disgusting. Most Americans think it's disgusting. But it, it's like tar, I hear. And, and they put it on their toast. They put it on every single thing, right? But, uh, and then they, they say, well, what does it taste like? It literally tastes like tar, people are telling me, like, like gasoline or something. It's just terrible, terrible taste. And, uh, and so this American goes over there, and he tastes that Vegemite, and he just spits it out because it's so bad. Um, but yet every Australian has to have it on everything, and they love it. And they try to get the whole world to love it, and nobody does. Why? Well, because from a young baby... They put Vegemite on pacifiers, on uh, anything that the kid gnaws on, anything. They put that on everything. And so every Australian grows up with this, this coming into their, their, their mouth and then tasting it as growing up. And so they begin to love it. Uh, well, that Australian came back to America with the American and they were at the airport in California and they got a cheeseburger and they were sitting there eating the cheeseburger and the Australian bit into the cheeseburger and spit it out because he couldn't believe what is that green slimy thing uh, on that on that burger then there was a pickle right and uh, he's like that is disgusting how can y'all even eat that like why would you dare put that on your cheeseburgers well what you can see here is this taste buds are formed by from a young child, from what mom puts on everything, right? Form your child's taste buds to love what is good, hate what is evil. And that's done in a million ways a day. Form your child's taste buds to love what is good, to hate what is evil. So that when they are long gone out of your care, their taste buds leave them. Another thing you can think of it is like a garden. There's a whole lot of good things in a garden. There's a few things that are destructive to a garden. Focus on when you're disciplining, you focus on the things that would hurt the garden. But otherwise, fuel the garden, fertilize it, water it, uh, all of the things that are, are, are variety and all of those things in a garden. You want to think about yourself and your child as not just always chopping, always chopping, always chopping. And you want to think about with your child fueling the good and focusing on being very proactive on the things that need to go out. And what's the thing that needs to go out of your child's heart? That rebelliousness. Look for that spirit of rebellion in the heart. That is where you press in. That is where you do discipline. That's where you get Mr. Spoon out, all right? Or time out or whatever your choice 
method is, okay? We have Mr. Spoon. It's the, it's the spoon in there. I break out the spoon to this day and Will shudders. Uh, and, and it's just a sting. You don't need to whack, right? I mean, it's just a sting, enough sting on the bottom to go. That very attitude in your heart will bring pain in your life. Don't have it. And you're doing it for their life. You're not doing it to hurt them. You're doing it to help them and to bring life to them because that will damage their soul. And you want to feed the things that will give life to their soul and you want to bring out those things that won't. And you be very consistent and you always win. Amen? Parents always win. It's for the good of your soul. Always win. If you see that, do it lovingly. Do it gently. Get the sting. Make it sting. Uh, but make sure that you're doing that, especially early on in that way. Um, it's something that you must win, and you have to stay consistent at it. You have to stay at it and stay at it as long as you see that. So this is the picture, nourishing your child to flourishing. That's the goal that you have. I'm nourishing. I have to think about my parenting as nourishing a human being to flourishing. That's what I'm trying to do. And anything that will make them not flourish I am working on that to remove it, and I'm helping them remove it from themselves as well, depending on where they are in the stages. I'm nourishing this child to help them flourish in life. Fathers, nourish your kids to flourishing. Feed your kids the things that create flourishing for their souls, and then go after the things that, that would uh, uh, challenge that and actually destroy that in their souls. So how do we do that? Let me share a few uh, critical principles regarding parenting. Number one, parents, listen close. Listen close. The biggest thing your child needs in your parenting is a strong marriage. If you invest in anything for your children, invest in your marriage. Make sure your kids see mom and dad love each other very much sacrifice for each other very much now why is that so important well much of their security much of their sense of um, love is going to come from your relationship how many of you growing up you went and jumped in bed with mom and dad when you're scared right and you get in there and I used to get between my parents because I was warm on this side and warm on that side and the blanket on top and it was snuggly, and it was the safest place on earth. Now, in that experience, I was breathing in a whole lot of good things for my soul. I was breathing in security and love. But when I saw mom and dad loving each other, my mom and dad got a divorce when I was five. So if you're a part of that, just know I, I totally get it. I was tossed from home to home. There was a time period in there when my mom had remarried and my dad had remarried. And I was a guest in everybody's home, and I had no, no house where I really belonged. I mean, I had all of those experiences, and I know what it is to feel insecure because I have a house, I go to this house, and I go to that house, but I don't belong anywhere. I'm a guest in everybody's house. I have my dad over here, I have my mom over here, but I don't have a home. And I know what that feels like to not belong. And so I can, without grace of Jesus and healing for my own soul, apart from what happened to me growing up, I can come into this attitude where I never belong anywhere and no one really loves me. 
And I can begin to tell myself that. And I can begin to live according to that. That I don't belong anywhere and nobody loves me. I'm always an outsider looking in. I don't ever belong. I'm never on the inside circle. That is what I could have done. I could have gotten there. But Jesus healed me. Jesus healed me. But this is how important it is. Mom and dad loving each other. That's why, hey, take your kids. Lock them in a closet. They'll be fine. Go on a dinner date. (laughs) Go invest in your marriage. They breathe in all kinds of healthy stuff from their soul, from your relationship. And so that is number one, the most important thing. Make that relationship great. Sacrifice greatly whatever to get that relationship to be strong and white hot because they are, they are enjoying the warmth of your relationship with each other and it's feeding their soul all kinds of great variety of health and flourishing. Are we with me? Okay. Um, so next, be, seek to be the person you want your children to become. Seek to be the person you want your children to become. Deuteronomy 6 starts with you. It says, you love the Lord your God. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. What does that mean? It means that you take God's word and you, you etch it into the heart. You take his word and you, and you, um, you not just memorize it, but you take it in deeply and it, to, to a point where it just so saturates your soul, it just leaves its mark everywhere in your heart. And he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. But he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and all your might. You be the person that you want your kids to become. Love God. Put God first. Live for the kingdom. Listen to this. Love for Jesus will be caught, not necessarily taught. Think of your kids as little ducklings, right? And... You, you don't necessarily need to turn around and face the duckling and give all your attention in your life to your kid. Did you know that? You don't necessarily have to do that. Really what you can do is I'm going to live for Christ and I'm going to be a certain type of person. And guess what they're doing? They're watching. And they're walking in your steps just like this. So you don't necessarily have to have it all right with your relationship with your kid. But what you do is you say I want to be a certain type of person for my child to walk with. And I'm going to be this type of person. And if, in, if what do I want them to become? And what qualities and characters and attributes do I want them to have? Do I have them? And if I don't, grieve it. <laughs> grieve it and go drink from the, the, the well of grace and fight for it for yourself. And then uh, they will be watching and they'll follow along. It's more likely that they're going to become who you are rather than what you tell them to be. More likely. Let's be authentic and real. Be authentic and real. Um, your kids can sniff out hypocrisy from you like nobody's business. And they can handle any flaw. They can handle dad being a major failure in any way. But what they can't handle is a dad who's a hypocrite. One way here, another way there. Trying, you know, living a, pre- a life of pretending. The killer of faith in most kids is parents who are hypocritical. It's, it's, a, it's a killer in faith in the kids. Um, your kids need to see that you acknowledge your weaknesses and your failures, that you recognize, I made a mistake and I apologize. 
Um, I remember I yelled at Lily one time, and I could tell I crushed her because of something a teacher said to me, and she didn't know that she had done wrong now that I know on the back seat, but I thought, oh, no, you know. And I yelled at her a little loud, and, and I could tell I crushed her, and I have apologized for like six years. I, I just said, Lily, I did. I, it's eating me up again. I remember when I yelled at you in the room in Memphis, and it's eating my lunch. I am so sorry I did that. I just got overcome. And so she keeps laughing about it. But I'm like, thank you that you're laughing about it because I need your forgiveness. I yelled at you too, boy. Anyway, you don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be real. You do have to be you, and you need to let that be known by your kids, okay? You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be real. Your kids will forgive and overlook all kinds of flaws, but they'll seldom overlook hypocrisy. Paul says, bring them up. This is the idea of growth of a person, right? Bring them up. Nurture them as they are growing up in the world. From birth to adulthood, guide them to become wise and virtuous followers of Jesus. I'm going to give you a helpful process here of thinking about parenting in seasons. In seasons. Birth to five years old, you are the commander. Amen? Wear your hat proud and your badge and what you say goes, right? And don't back down an ounce in these years. Don't back down. You are, they are to obey your word and... You don't have to be a strict disciplinarian and mean or angry, but they do have to obey your voice. They, this is where Paul's talking about children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is children. Commander in, the, in some of the coaching right here, this is when they're responsible to you. They need to obey you. Um, but they will learn it if you do good at it. Hopefully, the first five years, first five to eight years, if you're really consistent and you stay on it, um, you'll find that it, it carries through. Um, if not, it's, it's a little more difficult later on to try to instill these virtues, okay? Think of it as wet cement. When they're born, they're wet cement. <laughs> they're very moldable and shapeable and, and all of that. The closer they get to 18 to 24, the harder it gets. Y'all with me? The harder it gets. This is how brains form. This is physiological even for an adult. Uh, for, to, to do things you can't memorize, things that kids can because you're just, you're formed, you're set. Uh, and, and so we have the ability to not do things. So commander, birth to five years old, you are the ultimate helicopter parent at that age. Then you become a coach. Now you begin to, um, you know, five to seven or so, you're a coach that's real hands-on. You almost dribble for them, right? But closer to 12, you need to be more of a coach that's there playing the game. You're coaching from the sideline. You're letting them kind of do things in life, and you're, and you're coaching from the sideline. But you always can snatch them off the field at any time right all right counselor 12 to 18 years old now in the counselor phase you become more of a person letting reality discipline have its way with them you must let them fail parents they have to make a c or a d or an f you have to let them and 12 to 18 here's why if you have been a commander all the way to 18 and they leave the house, splat! Why? Because they have not had their own self-muscle, choice muscles built under your care. Their muscles are really weak and they will splat when they leave. For counselor, 12 to 18 is a very important time frame 
where you really are counseling them on wise choices, but you are also steadily opening the freedom to say, but you have to make the choice and you have to face consequences in life based on your choices. It is so imperative. Um, many kids that are going off to college that don't make it in their faith, many of them do return when they get married. All right, y'all know, know the thing. But many of them leave the faith when they go to college. And one of the primary reasons is, is they never had parents that let them own their own faith or counseled them in their faith to where they own their own faith before they left. That is very important to get to. If you're praying, pray for that. So counselor, 12 to 18 years old, you have a more of a counseling relationship with your kids. And then from 18 on, you're thinking a little bit more like a companion. Of course, you know, 18 to 24, you're still counseling them. But they're in college. They're on their own. They're making all their decisions. You have no idea where they are. They're doing whatever they really want to do. And they're accountable to the college. But they're, they're gone. And so they're on their own. Um, but you do obviously counsel them along the way, all the way to the time they're married. You're always available for counseling in the sense of they ask you you always offer you don't project yourself on them and get in their life and tell them what to do they're an adult you have to respect that just like everybody else but at, from companion on I'm always going to be there for my kids to support them and love them and any in any way but I am treating them like they're their own adult and I'm not going to walk in their life and always be interjecting my thoughts and my views and expecting them to listen to me and do what I ask at every point that has ceased that day is over so two damaging things is staying commander to 18. You're too much. You're not letting them live. You're not letting them find themselves. You're not letting them make choices. Okay, that's one damaging thing. But the other damaging thing is that you are a companion way too early. That you've come to the companion phase and you're not giving them structure. And every kid needs structure in their life. More structure early, less later. Let them begin to form their own. But both of those things are usually where parents err, okay? And so understanding these phases and sort of navigating things, and you as a parent have to navigate the change as well because you have to let go. And that's not easy, is it? Because you want to control a lot of times. You want to control their behavior. You want to control their destiny. You want to control their career. You want to control their marriage. You want to control it. Why? Because it's just I got to want so much for them, right? Um, and, and that, that is a thing that all of us parents have. But every phase allows you to let go a little more and a little more and a little more until they're on their own. And hopefully the taste buds have been set. Amen? And those taste buds will be their guide. And the Lord himself and their own community and their own family, he will guide them. They will take care of that. Let me walk through a couple of details on some of these and I'm going to be done. Commander birth to five years kids are like sponges at this they are born to absorb the world for years they are not judging what they're taking in they are just drinking it in so make sure the world around them is truth right and good bubble them yes definitely bubble them and make sure that their world is truth right and good why because they are just drinking in whatever's around them they do not need to be exposed to things that are of the world. And you say, oh, they're going to learn it anyway. Well, let them learn it later. They're not ready for that. Bubble them. Make sure you're putting the Word of God in their heart. Memorization should be high. They, they take in facts like crazy. They'll memorize a whole lot more than you ever would. And a, 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 a newborn Israelite would almost memorize the Shema that we just read, Hero Israel. Uh, but they would also try to memorize the whole Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. 
all of it, word for word. Take it all in. And in your daily routines, you're waking up, you're going to bed, you're driving, you're eating. All of those times are filled with conversation around the Word of God. Notice the pattern when you're at home, when you travel, when you wake up, when you go to bed. By the way, let me throw this in real fast. I know I'm running late. Orange Curriculum, parents, our curriculum here at the church is to resource you for that pattern of living. Wake up, drive, meal, and bedtime. And it's uh, basically the church is over here, the, the yellow and the red is the home, and the orange is in the middle. In other words, we serve as the church to resource you to do this for your child, to have the Word of God at every turn in their daily lives. So we resource you with that. It's called Parent Q App. If you have more questions about this, ask Katie. But we resource you to be able to do Deuteronomy 6. They give you uh, music to sing while you're driving down the road through Parent Q app. They, they give you Bible verses and devotionals to share at mealtime, questions to ask your teenagers. I mean, there's all kinds of resources at Parent Q that help you create the conversations in your home. Uh, so make sure you're taking advantage of that. I didn't know if you are, but if you're not and you didn't realize that, there's a very strategic method on our part to make sure that we resource you uh, for that. So please take advantage of it. So coach, 5 to 12 years. Um, oh, by the way, catechism. I encourage parents, especially early on, elementary and younger, to really get after catechism. And that's a question and answer. It's um, who is God? Um, God is three persons. Uh, what are the three? Who are the three persons? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you just and you play a game with it. You reward them for memorizing a certain number. My kids had a 50, 50 question catechism and it's basically from creation all the way to um that we'll be with him again and go through the gospel it's 50 questions and you and if they answer 25 then i would reward them with something if they answered the 40 they got a pony you know something like that but i encourage you parents to do that because it's repetitive and all the repetition early on is really good for them because they're taking in the gospel and you want them to take in the gospel. If you need a catechism, email me. I'll, I'll send you one. Uh, I've got several, uh, big ones and then small ones for little. So whatever. But uh, Matt could probably help you with that as well. So coach five to 12 years, more conversation, less commander. Okay? A little bit more of, I, I want you to think on your own. I want you to do things on your own. And I'm helping you establish convictions. And I want to have conversations with you a lot about you establishing your own convictions. This is what a coach is trying to do. Let them begin to form their own views. Let them work with you on trying to establish their own convictions. Their friendship circles toward the end of this will become the primary influence in their life. You will no longer be the primary influencer. This is when you become uncool and their friends become very cool. And the influences that they take in are more from their peers than from you. So make sure parents, especially in the coaching phase, that you have placed them in environments where when they're looking around themselves for peers, they're finding the right ones and you're helping them with that. Okay. Once they lock into bad friendships, it is very difficult to try to correct that thing. So be proactive and ahead of it and be thinking about how you put them in environments where they're going to make good friendships, primarily church, and then you're thinking about school and all those sorts of things, making sure that you're, you're moving in this direction and encouraging them in that. Counselor, 12 to 18 years. Um, this Through the counselor phase, you want to give them more and more freedoms to the point where I would suggest to you 
um, what my friend did. He had his son, it was going to be his senior year. That summer, he brought some men in, and they had dinner, and they, these men all spoke into his son's life. All these men had uh, poured into his life. And he says, and they all spoke into him, who, they, who, who he is, the way they view him. He's, how, how he's got so much and, and, and said all these encouraging words to him. And at the end of that deal, this father tells his son, who's about to be a senior, son, this year you're under my roof, but you have no curfew. We expect you to be a man of God. And we're not going to watch over your shoulder this year. That we would, we would hope that you would walk into things that are right, true, and good that have been poured into you up to this point. But this year, you don't have a curfew, and I'm not going to watch over your shoulder. And I'm trusting that you're going to be the man that God wants you to be. That's beautiful. And I, I love the timing of that because it's one year before he leaves, and he's doing it anyway. And you get to say it. You get to say it to him. That I'm trusting. I'm not going to be a lifeline. I'm not going to be here doing this for you all the time. You're going to do your own, and you're at that point. And they need to hear that from you. And I would encourage you to do that at some point during uh, that counselor phase. Uh, and then companion, 18 and older. At this point, they are completely out. Uh, almost, you're not really responsible for them. You can counsel them through college, but they're really on their own. I encourage you parents, when it comes to academics, look into the trivium. It's the classical method of training a child based on how they develop. Grammar in the early phrases is facts and information. Just fill their head with facts. Logic is establishing conviction, connecting the dots of the facts. And then rhetoric is presenting influential uh, argument to lead and influence people. And it's basically because um, in rhetoric, they're thinking about what the way they come across to people, what they wear, how they're being perceived. So come alongside them in that and teach them how to influence people and how to make good argument, how to win and, and stand for things that are strong and good and true in this world. So, for example, let me give you this, and I promise I'll be done. Y'all are uh, not, look, I don't have to leave today. I'm going to be sticking around so y'all can come up with any questions. And that's also why I'm going long. Uh, so I apologize for that. But grammar phase would be like this, um, that the Roman Empire fell in 400 AD. They just take that fact in, right? Logic phase would be more of a discussion about why the Roman Empire fell. Okay, does that make sense? And you just process. And then you get to rhetoric, and it's like you're teaching them to make an argument. How do we keep America from falling apart? So now it's much more questions toward the end, much more input on the beginning. You want them to become, have their own views, have their own arguments, establish their own convictions, and be presenting that in, a, in an influential way by the time they're leaving for college. You wanna, and so if you think about that process, this is how kids develop, this is how they learn. When you're thinking about teaching them the Word of God, that's the pattern you want to really follow. Pour the facts in early. Help them establish convictions in the middle. And then teach them how to lead so let them lead things. Let them present themselves. Let them go on mission trips. Let them go and serve people. Let them lead others and, and, even, and, and ask lots of questions along the way. So this is the type of discipleship that I think would be very helpful. That's just a, a, a little pattern there to, that's helpful for you um, as, as I wrap up. And the last thing is this. Would you please say this to your kids over and over and over all the days of their life? Will you say this to them? There is nothing you can do to make me love you anymore. There is nothing you can do to make me love you any less. Say that to your kids every day. You know why? 
Because there's no other place on earth where they'll get that kind of acceptance. Not even marriage. There's nothing you can do to make me love you anymore. There's nothing you can do to make me love you any less. I love you. Why? Because I love you. Not based on any performance that you do. Whether you fail or whether you succeed. I love you. And you can't increase that and you can't decrease that. You're fully accepted by me. Why? Because you're you and I'm me. That's it. Why does a human being need to hear that in the home? Because it's a reflection of what God says to us in his son Jesus. You can't perform more and make me love you more. And you can't fail and make me love you less. I love you. This is called grace. And that's what God provides us. And the one place a human being tangibly feels that is in mom and dad. And that's what we're to communicate more than anything. Amen. That is going to produce flourishing in their soul. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Amen. All right. I'm going to stop. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, um, just trying to take a half hour or a little more to unpack parenting from your word. It's quite a task. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just take these words, these meditations, uh, and, and, and pull us into wise parenting. We want to be the parents you called us to be. And Lord, we know that we need to intercede for our kids because there's ultimately, spiritually, things we cannot produce in their heart that only you can. And we're grateful that you do because we need you to make up for us in so many ways. But Lord, may the next generation know you, hear your voice, receive your salvation, walk in love, walk with Jesus, and be used for his glory in their life. We pray your blessings upon them. And Lord, if it be through our hands and our love for them, uh, we would delight in that greatly. So we thank you. Thank you for your word. And we give you praise. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.